Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. Today's show is a little different. It's raw, it's real, and it has real consequences. Today, we're speaking with the Bronsteins, who went through a recent tragedy and is involved in ongoing litigation. Trigger warning, today's episode contains bullying, cyberbullying, and suicide. The Bronsteins knew their child was having a hard time at the Latin school, but never in a million years would they think that their child was so tortured that he'd commit suicide in January of this year. Today, we're speaking to the Bronsteins about their fight against the system and getting justice for their son. Rose and Rob Bronstein, welcome. What responsibility do parents have when their children are bullies? Number one, I think they need to be held liable, especially if the bullying leads to the death of another child. And that's a a bigger challenge to address maybe later down the road in the future. I may be an advocate for that. Same similar to, for example, now, you know, if a child drinks and drives, right, and gets into a car and gets to an accident and kills another person who's held liable, the parents, right? So the same idea should be applied to parents of children who are bullying other children and is leading to physical harm or even death. I think parents also need to be having conversations with their kids who are doing the bullying, teaching them that they need to be held accountable. And what that looks like, for example, is teaching their kids to own up, to go up to the, take their child to the kid that they've bullied and make them apologize, make them hold themselves accountable to that child. And that just doesn't go on. And, And in our case, it didn't go on. And not a single family or child has come to us to offer us an apology or to hold themselves accountable for their behavior. It's so hurtful. It's so disrespectful. It makes a mockery of our son and his life. It just, it it shatters my soul into a thousand pieces to know that these kids are not being held to a standard of accountability for their actions. I can't believe not one parent came forward. Not even an anonymous apology. Nothing. Nothing. (sighs) That's really hard. It's not just hard to process, it's actually hard to believe. Yeah, it is. But it's true, and not that people need a school's permission to tell them to do what is right and what's wrong, but one of the, there are many, many things that we're very upset about that the school did both during our son's life and after his death and after, and we can get into some of that, but one of the things that they did, our son passed on January 13th, and my wife called the school, it was a very brief phone call, less than a minute, on January 14th, and I was sitting right next to her like I am now, and she said, just one thing, please do not send a mass email. We're still trying to process what happened. Do not send a mass email out. And the school 
ran with that to say these people want no communication. They want their privacy. Leave them alone. Our names and contact info were removed from the school's directory. People wanted to send flowers. They wanted to attend a funeral or a wake, and they were all told, leave these people alone. Now, to be fair, grown-ups who are the parents of these children don't need the school's permission to tell them to do what's right and wrong, but the Latin School of Chicago worked very, very hard, and we, we later learned this, and we later learned why, but they worked very hard to keep people communicating with us. But it is true that not a single child or parent to this day has offered an apology. They haven't done it in an anonymous letter in our mailbox. Not create an anonymous email account and send us nothing. Nothing. I can't stress that enough. And I, I like it, it is. It's hard to understand and it's hard to process. Since we filed this complaint, at least what we have so far, and there'll be more, more is coming out, more will come out, but, but what we have so far, the texts that these bullies wrote on the snaps have now been seen just, and I'm sure there'll be more by, by hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people have, have, have seen this. If these bullies were afraid to come and face us to apologize, now a whole lot of people, there'll be more and the school can't hide anymore. You know, as far as the lessons that, that parents need to take from this, another really important lesson, which is probably obvious, but I'll say it here, you put something in writing, it's forever. It's out there, and, and now the people who did this are going to have to explain. There's not a debate about whether they said this or not. It's in writing. It's not, we can all see it with our own eyes. They can explain themselves when that time comes, but parents need to stress that to kids. Aside from being decent, aside from being kind, aside from owning up to their behavior, good or bad, apologizing when, when you do something wrong, Put all that aside, when, when you put something in writing and you broadcast it, which is essentially what you're doing on a smartphone to however many people see it, that's not going away. I'm sick yeah. over it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. What really eats me up inside day after day is as far as we know, not a single student who participated in the cyberbullying or bullying of our son has been expelled from the Latin school. They walk the halls of that school every single day. The student who sent our son a Snapchat message telling him to go kill himself was not expelled from the Latin school. He is still in school. They are sending the wrong message to the community. They are sending the wrong message to the other students of the school. They are sending the wrong message to these students who committed bullying and cyberbullying crimes. It should be told to them that it's a privilege to go to that school, walk the halls of that school, and to matriculate at that school. And they're essentially being told, you can do whatever you want here. doesn't matter, even if it affects the life of another student. They issued an email to the parents of the current children there, as well as to alumni and others, a few nights ago. And it, it reiterated their existing policies about bullying and cyber policies. I, I don't know how they can do that with a straight face because everyone can see that it wasn't followed in the case of our son. I, the, the truth of the matter is it's not followed at the Latin School of Chicago. I, I wish I wish to God that we knew a year or two ago what I'm about to tell you. Like I have no doubt they have a policy, but a policy that isn't followed is just wasting paper, right? It's nothing. What we've come to learn, there's a long history at this school of hazing and bullying, particularly as it relates to, to sports and sports team, athletic teams, and people who have been going to the administration 
for years. It's been brushed aside. And you, you can go on the Survivors of Latin page and read about some of it. And admittedly, we did not, unfortunately, do that research. But we've been hearing from a lot of people, both before this came out, our, our suit and our story came out in a public way a week ago, and a lot more since then. I talked to a woman whose daughter was bullied and when she was in high school, and it sent her down a pretty dark path, and she later committed suicide at age 22. She was at Latin school. I talked to a young man who, um, he said, I recognize some of the names in the complaint. These are people that I went to. He, young man, he's gay, and he was brutally bullied and ostracized for his sexuality. And he, uh, he said, I recognize those names. Those are the people I went to. And he later attempted suicide while in high school and was hospitalized. Thankfully, he's, he's okay now. I've also heard from some parents who have hold their kids from Latin yeah. for being bullied. Yeah. And I mean, we hear that scenario, we've heard it over and over again. And what is so maddening and the irony behind all this is that why do the bullies get to stay and the kids being victimized, they leave? Yeah. Shouldn't it be reversed? Shouldn't the bullies be asked to leave the school? And shouldn't the kids who want to be there to get an education and to be good citizens and contribute to the community, they are the ones that should get to stay. The kids who do the bullying and the victimizing should be the ones that are told to leave. And the opposite happens. It's this perpetual system of year after year after year, kids who are bullies stay. And then the, the parents of kids who are being victimized, they have no choice other than to leave because they don't get support, they're not protected, or the administration doesn't help them out. They feel powerless because some of the kids who do the bullying come from families who are considered to be influential or prominent in the community. So they tend to hold more power over people who don't. I definitely think that's a problem at private school. Yeah. Especially at this one, it's been brought to our attention. We were not aware of that that was an issue either, but it's been going on for a very long time. Yeah. Three of the parents that are named in the suit, two is or one is a defendant, is two is respondents are board members and concerns their, their children. So the idea that the school could police itself, the idea that they could, I mean, look, setting aside our son for a minute, bullying and cyberbullying at this school has been an issue, but it's an issue everywhere. And then when you add to that the fact that, you know, it's sort of the fox guarding the hen house, and it's just not realistic that, you know, there, there needs to be rules and governance and, and, and things that are consistently enforced, because definitely the message that other families in the school have is that some people can get away with practically anything. And there are some parents in the school who are now questioning, is my child safe here? For sure. Or is, For sure. is my child next? That's the bad news, right? That's actually a good question, though, and something it that is needs a very to be addressed. Good, well, it's, it's a good, well, but that is precisely why we're out here doing this. And I want to give a little history of the last few months. So our son passed on January 13th, and the school knew about some aspects of it in December, and probably October, November, December. But a couple of days after January 13th, the mother came and demanded 
demanded a meeting with a mother who was scared for her own child, demanded a meeting with the headmaster, and she met with the headmaster and three administrators and laid everything out on the desk. Here's the, the means and the texts and the snaps and so forth. Her son also wrote a letter yeah. to all four administrators outlining the types of situations in which our son was bullied in school. He also gave a very detailed account of our son being berated and bullied by his geometry teacher. Thank God for her. Thank God for her. That is exactly right. So they told her, we're going to take care of this. And that was around, I think, January the, the 18th and nothing happened. And her son would come home and report the fact that these kids, him and his friends, also noticed, I mean, a lot of kids noticed the fact that nothing seems to be happening. And so finally, she, we never heard her name before, to my knowledge, and we never, certainly never met her. And she reached out to us and said, I need to come and show you something. And she came to our house on January 27th, which was a Thursday. And I have to tell you that it was like a kick in the gut that I, like just knowing not just what had happened, but the fact that the school had had this. And here we are desperately trying to understand what went on, what was our son thinking, what could have caused this. And knowing that these people, the administration of the school, who are who are who have a mission to educate and protect children, that they had this information. I'd exchanged some emails with the headmaster a few days before. He didn't mention it. He asked if he could call and express his condolences, and I agreed, and we had a phone call. He didn't mention it. And so we demanded a meeting that very day, and they tried to put us off. We said, we're coming in. Like, we're coming in this afternoon. They tried to put us off till the next day. Yeah, and we said, no. We said, we're coming right now. And we, we, we came in, and we said a lot of things that were, you know, very upset. But I said, you, my wife had never spoken to him. I said, you and I spoke. Why didn't you tell me this? And he said two things, both of which were lies, but both of which were in contradiction with one another. So now you know caliber of what you're dealing with here. This is the headmaster. He's the headmaster. He said, I thought you knew. And he said that I thought telling you would, would hurt too much. That's what he said. And now you can appreciate why they wanted to disappear us and wipe us off, you know, sort of the map. But anyhow, during that meeting, we said, you got to do a lot, but among the other things you need to do is you need to start bringing in these students and their parents and getting to the bottom of what happened. Okay, and we knew way less then than we know now. And he said, I understand. And then he called us the very next day and said, please come in. I want to give you an update. And we said, okay. And that was a Friday and we came and he said, you know, I've begun, begun to contact the parents. We said, well, that's something. But I said, have you told your board? And he said, no. Which I said, you know, I've got to be honest. I find that hard to believe everything that's happened here. Like I'm on boards. I know what a board's job is. It's not just to go to the annual dinner and get awards. Like a, this is like a serious thing. The board needs to be involved. And he claimed, he told me that the board doesn't know, which was a half truth because a cabal of the board had been meeting in secret, which I'll get into in a second. I said, there needs to be an investigation. There needs to be a neutral third party it needs to come and understand what happened because there's things that are broken here and they need to get fixed before another child gets hurt or worse. He wrote me an email a couple days later on Sunday, and he said, you know, hey, I really hope we can work together to be productive, and we're, we're, you know, we're open to the idea of an investigation. Later that day, I learned just how that the board or members of the board had been meeting in secret to discuss their risk and to cook up these theories of was this was our son kicked out of the previous school? Was he a troublemaker? All, the, all of which were lies, by the way. So... January 13th, he passed. January 14th, we asked not to send an email. And by January 15th, the headmaster and members of the board 
or meeting to just cook, to create the cover up, to, to hide the salt. So as you can imagine, they had no credibility with us. And I've been talking to an attorney, but I hope that we wouldn't need an attorney, that we could work it out directly. But at that point, I knew that we would need to, to work through an attorney. And the gentleman we hired, a guy named Todd Flood, came highly, highly recommended. And his background, he was a prosecutor in the Detroit area for about 15 years. He was also the special prosecutor for the Flint lead water pipe case. And he's been involved in a lot of these really tragic mass sex assault cases that have occurred at universities. And Eastern Michigan University, for example, I think he's representing a bunch of plaintiffs of 20 young women who were raped and the school hit, hit it. It's very, very sad and ironic that it's become a thing. Like you can literally specialize in this now. And unfortunately, the, the idea that something happens in a new institution works very hard to cover it up, right? And so he had, he's a specialist in that. But really from the get-go, we said, we want there to be accountability and transparency for the people who work here who failed and for the students who bullied our son. And that's what this is about. Because Not one, because our son deserves justice, but also because it can't happen again. Like it needs to be fixed immediately. And without getting into details, we hoped and tried that for three months. And then we had to file complaints. So obviously, we weren't able to. We weren't able to get them to hold themselves accountable. And because they wouldn't hold themselves accountable, we're going to do it through the court system. And and there will be accountability. And it's very important to my wife and I. Several things. Number one, that that our son's legacy be that this doesn't happen again at that school and everywhere. That's number one. Number two is it's also very important to us that good can come of this in general. And so I, I feel very strongly that Latin should pay Latin and the other defendants, the parents, the teachers and so forth. They should pay in every way, pay in terms of having to own up to their failures, pay in terms of having to correct what they do going forward, but also pay monetarily. But I don't want them to pay us because their money, we don't want their money. It wouldn't do anything for us. It wouldn't improve our lives, but they should have to pay. They should have to pay to also see that it doesn't happen again. So we've been very, very vocal that any penny, literally, that if and when it's awarded to us will be given to charitable organizations that work against bullying, cyberbullying, social media reform. I'm sure there are other relevant things that we'll think of. So again, look, we, did, we most definitely did not ask to be dealt the hand that we have been. But we know, and now we're seeing that by coming forward and telling the story, there's just been an outpouring from literally everywhere. I mean, people from all around the country, certainly around Chicago, but all around the country are, are saying, this happened to me, this happened to my nephew, my son. The, the school administration where our children go to school have reiterated their bullying policy and on and on and on. And that's only after a few days, right? And so we get back to what I was saying before, what does accountability look like? I mean, accountability Accountability is definitely something that's very specifically focused on the people who are defendants, but there's going to be accountability in a bigger way because people who are entrusted with the, the care of children, right, and they're trained supposedly, they are, there are statutes that govern what they do. You know, they have this very, very significant responsibility. And look, maybe some of them have been around for decades and they haven't adjusted the way that they work to be relevant to 2022, coming out of COVID, all the complexity of that, all the risk around social media. Maybe they need to really, really aggressively pivot the way that they think and act. When was the statute put into place? around bullying. Uh, it was revised in August of 2021. Also, 
you had another child at the school. Did you take that child out? Yeah, we pulled her out in the middle of January. She was also being ostracized, excluded, isolated. There was also a collective effort by a large number of girls in her class to do the same. It caused her a lot of stress, um, emotional stress, mental stress, and physical stress as well. It's awful. I mean, switching schools is hard enough. I've done it. It's it's really challenging. I'm actually getting ready to do it again. We're moving out of Chicago and finding the right fit for, I've got four children, you know, as well. It's so stressful. And when you tour these schools and when you meet with the administrations, everybody's putting on their best act. It's very hard to know what a school is really like, even if your kid shadows there. Our youngest daughter transferred there. She just wanted to try Latin for high school. She was always interested in the high school and just wanted to get a chance to meet new kids, make new friends. And our son, once our daughter was accepted, Latin had made a statement that they were going to be in, they were committed to being in person in the fall of 2021. They were getting rid of online learning. That gave us hope that we were done with all this online stuff and we really wanted our son to be in person learning as well. So that was the primary reason why we thought it would be a good idea for him to transfer to Latin. From you guys checking it out until everything that transpired, what was the experience like? Did your son ever come to you and talk to you about the hard time he was having? Yes, within the first few weeks of being at school, he was already experiencing isolation, kids not being welcoming. He would report to us that he would walk around by himself, that he wasn't being included in conversations, that nobody talked to him, that kids were standing around in circles talking about their plans over the weekend while with him there, not including him. He just did not feel welcome. Like, when do you know that there's a problem? When he started to, he was leaving school. He was coming home during the day, during his free periods. He didn't want to go to school in the mornings. It was an argument for him to go. And he was complaining a lot about telling us about what kids were doing to him or how he was being treated. And that's when I started to notify the school. This was, I like, late September, early October. That's really early on. And how did you communicate with the school? Like, what was that experience like? It was everything, phone calls, emails, in-person meetings with the social worker. Rob and I went together. Conference calls. I had a in-person meeting with the upper school director. This was more later in the year, like probably early November. I'd even said to her that our son was so unhappy that we were working on trying to get him transferred back to his original school. We kept getting the same response, have him join a club, have him join a sporting team so that he can meet people. And he did. He tried. He was on the golf team, joined the investment club. Uh, he then joined the JV basketball team. Things just weren't meshing for him. Did he say he wanted to transfer out? Yes, very early on. Was he happy at the previous school? Yes. Oh, so heartbreaking. But for the fact that his previous school was virtual, they of course went back in person later. I don't think that it would have crossed our mind to have transferred him, but we so badly wanted him. In Latin's defense, they were pretty adamant that they were going to be in person. They were certainly a lot more affirmative than Parker. his current school, and so we were we didn't want to take the risk. We weren't sure if Parker was going to be in person in the fall. They hadn't made such a affirming statement about it, and we just didn't want to take the risk. 
And it turns out at the end they were in person with everyone else. But at the time, back in March, everything was up in the air. Yeah, our decision was, and and look, he did want to go back. And my wife encouraged him to actually meet with the headmaster. And to his great credit, he had a meeting on his own and really made a strong impression. I mean, the headmaster knew him a bit, but he made a great impression in this meeting. And even though it's, from our understanding, pretty unusual to let a student back, or or excuse me, to admit a student mid-year, his case to readmit. The headmaster agreed to do that, and and I think that that speaks to how liked and respected he was and had been at Parker, at his previous school. And I mean, they, they certainly had no need to welcome them back, and they did. We talked to the headmaster there, and he said, you know, it's been a while, but I'll do my best to recall, he said that what really impressed him about his conversation with Nate is that Nate had had experience with both learning education styles and Nate was able to articulate what he really preferred about Parker style. And that really resonated. I think if you go to the headmaster and you say, I have more friends here than there, I mean, they're sympathetic to that, but it's not nearly as compelling as I have firsthand experience with each of the educational styles and philosophies of these two schools. And I really prefer yours. And I think that 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 was a compelling thing that he was able to say, and that's why they welcomed him back. And there are so many really troubling things that Latin and people associated with Latin have said and done, but one of them is that this notion they tried to whisper that, oh, he was kicked out of Parker, he was a problem child there. It could not be from the truth. He had dozens of friends. He was, like I said, this is a very difficult, both schools are very difficult to get into. They have way more people interested than they have space, okay? And he was welcomed back, even though, from my understanding, the class is full. They basically made room in an otherwise full class to welcome him back. So I think that speaks volumes to not someone who had something to hide, a whisper campaign they would start about him, but from the people who actually knew him and respected him, he was welcomed back without even really a question. What are the offensive questions that people ask you guys now? I'm going to answer it a different way. What happened, not just to Nate, but the idea of losing a child is every parent's worst nightmare, right? And so they're not going to come out and ask that overtly, but but clearly what they want to say, it's just below the surface is, didn't you see this? Or and, and when they ask it, they're not asking so much about Nate. They're saying, oh my God, do I need to, I, the person asking, need to tiptoe around my own children trying to see these same signs. And this is why, and we're not experts in this by any stretch, and you can interview psychiatrists, and other experts, and maybe they're going to say different things. We can only speak to our own experience. But the one thing that, that we definitely feel very strongly about is this is why the school needed to tell us what they knew, right? Because the school knew things that were, we had no idea what was going on at the school and the extent of the bullying. I mean, our son got, it was essentially piled on electronically, but it's still aggressive and intimidating and scary, piled on by 14, 15 people. And the school knew this, and we had no idea. And another boy sent this incredibly aggressive, profane, suggesting violence and intimidation snap that was shared by I don't know how many people, and they knew about that and didn't tell us. It circulated not only around the Latin school, it circulated through Parker, circulated through other schools in the community. And, um, so mean. I know. Not only by the student who created and sent it out, 
but and this was on December 10th. We see on the Snapchat it's time stamped and dated December 23rd. So 13 days later, yep. it was still being screenshotted. This was over winter break and being circulated again That's uh, by devastating. two different Latin students. Their names are stamped on the Snapchat. How did you get all of that? And has Snapchat been cooperative or helpful in any of this? No, the apparent came to us and gave us the Snapchat and the JV basketball test. Doesn't that expire? Like Snapchat's erased, but so many kids screenshotted it and they, they just had it in their camera rolls. So kids still have it today. We saw subsequent texts, text message threads that, that these students were sending each other. And one of the boys, one of the worst offenders was bragging almost like they'll never catch me because it was on Snapchat. Unbeknownst to him, it's photographed and we have it. But so he's wrong. But 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 it actually gets to another really disturbing thing, and that is that some of these apps, Snapchat in particular, are used as you know sort of a forum for criminal wrongdoing because students think that they can act with impunity on it, that it's going to disappear, and, and often it does. I and mean, we're fortunate in this case, people did preserve it. But it's really illuminating that the student was going around school bragging like, aha, I'll never get caught because I use Snapchat. That's a real, that's a real problem. I mean, there are kids at that age that if they commit murder, they're going to jail for life. Yeah. yeah. That are tried yes. as adults. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't you think that there needs to be more regulation around death threats or words like this? 100%. I think that Snapchat needed to get involved if they saw keywords that they're were not, threatening. Yeah, they're refusing. There's a lot of parents out there who've been victimized the same way we have their children taking their lives after being threatened on Snapchat, being told to kill themselves from the same position that we are. <sighs> A lot of social media reform must take place, but Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, they're all protected by privacy laws, or which Section 230 essentially needs to be eliminated, but that's a whole political issue between Democrats and Republicans. The Democrats are supported by the CEOs of these large tech companies, so they don't want Section 2, they won't support Section 230 to go away. It's, it's a really, really big issue, bigger than us. When the time is right, I do plan on making that a mission of mine to be a change agent for social media reform, because this, this happens every single day. We don't, the media doesn't report it, but there are kids who are committing suicide every single day because they are being cyberbullied over social media platforms, and the platforms right now don't want to do anything about it. We did reach out to Snapchat. They run you in circles. I'm sure. They pass you from person to person. We'll get there. We're just one thing at a time. Right now we need to deal with the school and the students, and we're going to have to deal with Snapchat. Um, they definitely don't make it easy. And the fact that, like you said, these social media platforms do have the capabilities to put filters Definitely. in. Yeah. So for example, Snapchat does and should have the technology to be able to catch somebody if one uses a certain word. Like the word kill, it yes. should be flagged. Yes, 100%. And there should be an immediate notification. Snapchat should be notified. Yes. The police should be notified. 100%. 
I mean, it should be a three alarm fire, right? Yes. In this instance, with our son and with many other children around the country, we, we had no clue that he received a message like that until it was too late. And it was about, about three weeks after it happened that we found out that he received that message. I just, I cannot imagine what the last four months have been like for you guys. It feels like four years or 14 years. Oh my years. God. But this story finally came out as far as the filing of our, our lawsuit that's been picked up in quite a bit of media, really quite a bit. We were very reticent to go down the path of litigation because, as I said, we had we had really, really, really hoped that it could be done constructively with the school. We, we felt that that would be, look, we have a goal and the goal is accountability. We were hopeful that we could sort of walk hand in hand with the school in a cooperative way and get them to hold themselves accountable because we, you know, ultimately protecting the, the 1,200 students, who, the children who still go to school, there should be everyone's goal. And we thought that that was an important enough goal that they would say, you know, some harsh things may come out, but we, you know, we got to do it. And they didn't. So here we are. But before we actually decided to move forward with our legal complaint, you know, one of the things that you tell yourself because it's we're a family going up against this hundred year old institution with a nine figure endowment and and the luminaries on their board and before you do that you sort of take you swallow hard but you tell yourself you know what like I'm confident that by bringing this to light some good's going to come out of it and that was what what I would have said to you a couple weeks ago the story's out there and it's been covered very very broadly and people from literally everywhere. People who have talked directly to us, people who, you know, we read about other things, we read about what's going on. I can tell you definitively that a lot of good is already coming of it and a lot more good will come of it. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, we are as well. And so, look, this is not a fight that we asked for, but it's now a fight that we feel, you know, incredibly committed to because we most definitely cannot change what happened to our son, but I really, I know that we can prevent it from happening again by getting it out there. And, and, and I don't know how to make this any more clear. When you, when you put together the confluence of social media, the responsibility that school has, the expectation that we or other families have when they drop their children off in the morning, that these students are going to be looked after and that the schools are going to do the right thing and act in the student's interest follow the rules and follow the law when it doesn't happen. Yeah, what happens when your child is left behind, even if it's just one? But it's a lot more than one. It's a lot more than one. I mean... <laughs> and you're seeing that now because other people have come forward and let you know. And they're in hiding. Maybe other people aren't as brave as you are. That's why we're here. That's exactly why we're out here. If we don't speak up, if we don't demand change, then... I'm pretty here. sure that the school just hopes it'll go away. Well, you can use the past tense. They did hope it will go away, but that's, that ship has sailed, unfortunately for them. Fortunately for the rest of us. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. First of all, I'd like to thank... Mr. and Mrs. Bronstein for being on the show. It's a very tragic loss. You know, as a parent myself, to lose a child would be just devastating to address bullying and this cyberbullying, and you're looking to make a difference and get your story out there, I think is the right message to try to send, that you're trying to really give the opportunity for other parents that have children that are being bullied or cyberbullied, where they take it seriously, because it can lead to a tragic ending 
that you're really trying to help prevent for other people. Uh, I accommodate you on that. It's a very difficult subject because to me, a bully is usually a coward or someone who has their own problems is taking it out on kids and people around them. And a lot of times it gets to be a group of them because they think just like uh, gangs, they think that it'll make them tougher or make them feel better about themselves, fortunately, at the cost of others. There's a lot of kids that can't really stand up to this type of bullying and attack. Society really needs to come up with a way to take it a lot more seriously and to come up with an answer. And part of the answer is that we should really not allow people to pick on other people. And if it's reported, whether it's school or whether it's even on the internet, uh, I think we have to have certain rules of engagement that are adhered to. And hopefully your message will ring loud and clear to others where they'll be part of that cause of making some of these constructive changes. What are the warning signs? What could we see to help prevent such a tragedy from occurring? You have people shooting up high schools and theaters where people are just going berserk and take lives where the meaning of life is just so important. To some people, they just don't even value their own lives as well as the value of lives of others. And then the second question here is accountability that you bring up in this episode and the accountability of all of us society when it comes to what is the right thing to do something like this happens. When these things happen, everybody wants to look the other way, hide under a cover, jump in the swimming pool and say that it's just a terrible tragedy. And yet nobody then offers sometimes the answers that we all search out is how do we stop this from happening again? And by going on podcasts, putting in the effort that you're doing and spreading the word of how terrible this thing is, is how you reach other people and how you can share this story and hope that other people will listen and maybe you make a difference in their lives where it doesn't happen to them. So we deeply appreciate you coming on the show and spreading the word of this terrible, terrible tragedy that your family has endured. Yeah, when I read their story in the news, I could not sleep the entire night after that. I mean, my heart was just aching for them. It was so tragic. Well, all the cyberbullying and and embarrassment, it's just hard to imagine what really trips someone to do this. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Better Call Daddy.